to the Service Sharp, a podcast all about ServiceNow. This podcast is not sponsored or endorsed by ServiceNow in any way, and the opinions expressed are our own. I am Randy Hawes, one of your hosts, along with Jason Gibson. Brent Peters and Justin Klaus will also frequently join in. After a short message from our sponsor, we will dive right in. We have split this episode into two parts, a Q&A session on our most frequently asked questions for ServiceNow. Let's hear part one. Again, my name is Jason Gibson. We're going to do something a little today. Uh, we are going to talk about some of the common questions that we get asked uh, just on a normal day-to-day basis. So we're going to have some fun with this. Uh, we've each picked uh, a question or two, and we're just going to kind of go through and see if we can't rummage through this kind of stuff. Um, Randy, why don't we get started? Um, introduce yourself a little bit. All right. Yeah. Randy Haas with the Sharpstone Group. And um, uh, I've worked with ServiceNow for four or five years now, mainly from a manager of the team type level. Not really um, not really the guy that does all the, the technical stuff. I'm just the guy that takes credit for it. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, been in IT for a long time. And uh, yeah. That's me. All right. And and Brent, um, if you would introduce yourself real quick. Uh, Brent Peters. Um, I have been working with ServiceNow as the admin and developer of it for a little over seven years. Uh, but I've been working with, the, with an ITSM tool like this for the last 14 and a half to 15 years. He is who we call the master. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He is. Uh, he, he is. Uh, Brent actually is the one who started me out on my journey and and listened to hours and hours of me completely screw things up um, and helping me straighten them up and and learn how to uh, to get the things right. So um, I, I really appreciate you being here. So let's get right into it. Um, a lot of patience. Yeah, more than you guys ever know. Yeah, yeah, and I do like our cues, so that that sometimes gave interesting dynamic there. Um, so, Brent, you have brought uh, a question that you get asked pretty often. What is that? I get asked quite often by our my uh, users and all about what is a configuration item. Hey. Um, configuration items are kind of a tough one because it could be any. Uh, if we go with like an ITEL description, a, a, a CI could be anything from a person to a piece of equipment to software to anything that the company owns uh, a, along with like an asset or something like that. But um, when it comes down to what really a CI is for a company, it needs to be defined by the business, kind of what they want to track. <laughs> Right, exactly. So I try and tell people all the time, a, a CI is literally just an item, right? It's a configuration item. It is something. It doesn't necessarily mean it's something important, <laughs> but right. it's, 
it is it is often it could be anything it could be a network switch it could be you know um the the, the software on a computer the, it could be uh so many different things in the system and that is the one thing uh, especially when you get into like software asset management and regular asset management um, and into defining, well, what's important to me, asset, what, what CIs do I want to track for monetary value? Well, then that becomes an asset, you know, yep. uh, but people get that so confused because they see a CI and a CMDB together and they say, well, a CI is all just my computers. Right. Well, uh, there's that. And then there's also some people that just want to take it down to the minute level of this piece of memory that's in this computer is a CI. But you can do that, but that's a little overkill for things. You kind of want to keep things that are more important to what's going to keep your business up and running. Uh, you also want to kind of keep it to a, a larger system, most likely, like uh, servers, workstations, network equipment. Workstations is kind of iffy in some cases. Um, you don't want to put like every piece of software you have um, installed as a CI. That's more for your software asset management kind of stuff. If you're doing a CI or a configuration item, you want it to be useful. You don't want garbage in there. Uh, you want to be able to track like a change, right? Right. Yeah, so, comes, what did we what did we do a change on that caused an outage, right? Right. Right. And <laughs> it's also the base to a lot of the processes because all the processes like change management, incident management, request management, problem, all that stuff kind of ties to a CI in one way or another, so that you can know where what all is happening in your system. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know an easy way to kind of look at it is: Do you want to report off of it? You know, if you want to report off of it, it's going to be a CI, probably. Um, you know, if you want to track a trend or if you want to check to see if there's going to be a collision whenever a change is implemented or things like that, then you know those things are kind of CIs, but. You're not going to report on like the RAM chip, as you said, in, in, in right. an individual desktop PC whenever you're trying to figure out the root cause of, you know, a system, uh, you know, an internal process or something like that. Then you're not going to be running daily reports that show you, you know, individual RAM chips across, right. the, across the organization. One of the things that I see most useful with with the, the CIs is being able to say, okay, we had 10 incidents on this particular computer model, right? So this particular computer model, we've been having problems. There's been a lot of incidents on it, being able to report on it. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an asset because you don't necessarily care if it has a lower, lower if it's, you know, a lot of companies don't care about anything under $10,000, right? They don't want to track those as assets. Right. So the computer wouldn't be, it would be an asset in, in your asset database, but it would be a CI to be able to, to report on to say, you know, hey, it goes up for time to try and figure out what next model of computer you're going to get as an organization or standardized. You look at that and go, man, it looks like we've had a bunch of problems with this one, you know, um, so let's go a different route, right? 
So just right. better decision making. That kind of brings up a. Um, Another question. So a CI doesn't necessarily have to be a physical object, right? It can just be a representative object, like right. Windows Server can be a CI. Yes. You kind yeah. of want to, I would think, personally, I would try to stay away from generalization, like another. You don't want to put other in CI because you're going right. to end up with everybody putting that. You also yeah. want to say virtual machine. Because anytime somebody calls in about a virtual machine, they're going to log it to that instead of the specific issue. But right. you do; you, it does not have to be physical. It can, uh, in fact, a virtual machine could be one. So you can have a virtual server listed or whatever. Like if you have ITOM, right? That you yeah. can integrate with AWS. You could integrate with, uh, you know, with with lots of different web-based systems that you know are virtual servers. Right. Yep. Um, most most of the time, I would have to say that a CI though is something that your corporation owns. Um, you usually will not put somebody else's CIs in your database. I could see a few yeah. exceptions of that, but most of the time, it is going to be something that your company owns or uh, supports because it is part of your process. Right, um, like. ServiceNow, right? We don't, you know, ServiceNow is a good example of a CI that's useful that we don't actually necessarily, uh, we have a contract with ServiceNow, but it's a SaaS system, SaaS offering. So, um, you know, that gets a little iffy, but if it's in there, you can say, well, I'm going to do a change because I'm going to do a change to the ServiceNow instance. I need a standard change or a normal change or whatever. And you know what's going on. You get a better picture of everything. Right, right. You don't own any hardware with it unless you have like mid servers or something. Right. It. But you don't, with ServiceNow itself, you don't own hardware. You're, it's just an, a corporate application that you use, but that could still be a CI. So right. there is some gray lines. It's just, it, it gets kind of confusing to some people. And it does. Uh, yeah, I know that one of the big um, conversations that I frequently get involved in is with people confusing, you know, CIs and assets as being the same thing as, you know, using those terms interchangeably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not. They're, there's, they're not. there's relationships between the two, but they're totally different. Yeah. An asset can be a CI, but... You know, just because something is an asset does not make it a CI. Right. right. And just because it's a CI doesn't mean it's an asset either. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, there's some intricacies in all of this, and people just it's harder for the it's hard for people to understand because you know nobody's broken it down for them. They just they just know what they see, right. and they haven't been truly explained what things are. I know that you know in lots of organizations they're still trying to figure out you know, um, what these things are. A I, I, good, exa good example is, a, is a, a customer I was working with just to, could not get asset straight. They, they were trying to do asset management, and they kept saying, well, uh, here we have all the CIs, you know, but, I'm like, but you haven't built out asset. You haven't, you haven't told the system what you care about yet. Right. what you want to track monetarily. Yep. And so it, it it was kind of like a it's a culture shift for them to start changing that mindset. And the, and the first thing to say, well we just want to track everything. 
<laughs> yes. It's a little overkill. Um, yeah. And I, I've also seen, um, well, I, I kind of lost my thought there. <laughs> well, haven't you seen like that turn on discovery and it discover like 3 million CIs? Yes. If you turn on discovery, it, I, you you want to kind of limit what you're scanning for for the things that you want, and there is a difference between, um, lack of a better word, configuration and actually pulling in inventory from your da- your discovery. Inventory can give you information about your CIs, like here's the server, and then you have inventory of the CPU, the memory, the what patches, that kind of stuff are all on there. But just because it's inventory does not mean it's a CI. It's kind of confusing in ServiceNow because they have configuration items, and all those end up in the configuration item tables. But part of that is just inventory that's pulled in so you get more info about it. It also helps with your relationships, that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, oh, um, what I was also saying is our thing is configuration management is the base of all this stuff. So if you talk about, well, it was ITIL 3 and all that, we now have ITIL 4, but ITIL 3 yeah. said uh, configuration is the foundation. Uh, let's say you're all the processes build a house configuration is a foundation. And if you don't have a good foundation, the other ones are going to struggle. And in several customers that I've dealt with, that is true. If they didn't have good CMDBs and configuration <laughs> items defined and all that, and the other stuff, the other processes all suffer because of that. But I've also come to realize so that there's never an end to it. No, no, there's, no. There's never, there's never a prick CMDB. It's never done. It, it is an, a massive ongoing effort to maintain quality data. Right, and Which you're is, always going to be doing CSI on it or the continual improvement on, yeah. that, on that. So, Which is why it's so important to think about the process before you start doing the process. Yes, and, yep. and it's also why, um, you know, implementing ServiceNow goes beyond IT and it goes beyond, uh, and, and, you know, needing to learn ITIL or to have an understanding of ITIL goes beyond just the IT department in your company uh, because it is a cultural thing um, when you start to implement it and it impacts, you know, other places and other parts of the company. And um, so the, most you can do or the, the as much as you can do as possible to educate and make clear what the processes are and what the terms mean and what the procedures are, um, the better off that um, uh, CMDB is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man. All right. Uh, so I now bring something in there so that I sounded like I was part of the group. Yeah, oh, of course, of course, yeah. So you had an interesting question. Um, so why don't you go ahead and, and let us know what your question is? So you, me? Yes. You, okay. you, you uh, like Randy. Uh, <laughs> so, no. Um, well, what I get asked uh, is, you know, what is ServiceNow? Um, you know, people want to just start talking to it. And it's like, well, what exactly does ServiceNow do? Um, right. You know, and that's a, and that's, that's a loaded a, question, right? I mean, a loaded question because it changes every six months, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, 
it changes every six months, but it's also a development platform. People don't understand that. They see, they see it as a, oh, it's just a ticketing tool. You know how many times I've been told that ServiceNow is just a ticketing tool, that it's the, the biggest, you know, load of manure in the world because it's not, it, it does do ticketing, but it is a MySQL database that allows you to not only do different processes like ITIL or like uh, like your HR and your ITSM and um, all the other bits and pieces that come together. Um, it, and, it, and, and each time you put something together, it becomes exponentially better. Well, I mean, historically, though, it did... It did start with incident response, uh, kind of as a foundation, right. right? It was it was set up to be a competitor to, well, to like remedy or something like that. He's uh, Fred Luddy started it out as a platform, and to demonstrate how the platform as a service would work, he threw some incident management, some change management stuff in. My understanding, this is what it was just to show how easy it was to do this stuff. And then people were like, hey, that's pretty cool. I want to use your ticketing system. And he's like, yeah. always was like, uh, it's more than just that. Uh, one yeah. of the biggest slogans for the longest time was it's platform as a service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's so many custom well, applications you can put into this. You could build out of the scoped apps and that kind of stuff. I think uh, now I mean, the preferred the preferred way to refer to it is not as service now. It does the now platform, and yes, yeah, it's yeah, now the now platform, yeah, yeah. It, which is which is. But, uh, but I'm going to tell you, it, people still can't get it through their heads, and I've I can't tell you how many times I've been okay. So I built applications for hospitals, to to for you know public facing you know uh, forms for them to to request for second opinions. I've done encrypted databases. I've done reimbursement applications very similar to what you see with Concur, you know, it's, you can build anything because you, you have this massive tool that allows you to have an unlimited imagination what you do and the processes you do. And so that's the hard thing to get through people's heads. It's an easy platform to understand. It's a bunch of tables that you can get to easily you can uh the scripting the javascripting the angular all that kind of stuff angular js all that stuff is easy to learn and do uh it's got a great ui that you can play with just making custom apps in it is so easy like jason was saying i've made several custom apps to fit into little niches that the companies I've worked for have needed because other applications couldn't do it. Um, uh, <laughs> it's like one, of the, one of the ones I just did was um, th the place that I was working at got a new EMR, but they didn't have anything in the EMR, the medical record system that allowed them to, to track when they changed the costs and everything. So we built something in ServiceNow so they could say, here's the new cost, here's what it was, it goes through approvals. It then would open IT uh, tasks related to that for IT to do their job and everything. It just filled that niche that nobody had out there. And people don't understand. We think, you know, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the thing is also that 
you know, it can consume information from That's almost true. every yep. other platform out there and then send it back as well. I mean, I know that we've done integrations with Workday, integrations with PeopleSoft, integrations with vendors, integrations with, uh, you know, Cisco and uh, Microsoft, um, so all important. sorts of, you know, if you, if you can name it, yeah. you can integrate with it. And, and, and even if it doesn't have a built-in integration, it's got a great API that you can use and build your own. It's got, yeah, it's got a, an amazing REST API. You can do REST, you can do SOAP, you can run uh, half a dozen different kind of scripts with in, inside ServiceNow uh, and pull from ServiceNow half different, half dozen ways. You like PowerShell, you can use PowerShell. You don't like PowerShell, you can use REST. You can use JavaScript. I mean, it's just, it's a very, um, a very open platform to be able to get in there. But with that openness, it's also extremely secure, and this is what I find interesting is that there are um, – it is considered a SOX application in a lot of organizations I've worked with. There's been applications or other companies I've worked with that keep PHI in it in um, what they call edge encrypted, which is uh, encrypted fields inside the ServiceNow uh, platform. And it's just amazing that the diversity of things that it, that it can do and does do. And it also allows you to do a lot of automations too. Um, even with orchestration, the add-on, uh, the plug-in that you, uh, has a little bit of extra cost to it, you can do it through orchestration, or you can even do it through just the automation of like workflows or the other things that you have access to within the tool you don't have to pay that extra cost well and and think about the the cost savings and and i think that's where people don't they don't think uh, ahead enough Uh, you look at itom and you look at okay so a server goes down and there's a problem in the middle of the night and then it sends an alert that alert that it's that there's a problem you know it comes up well you can set it to to reboot the server Mm-hmm. You know, not to mention you can do that before on-call even hits. Right. So you can try and you can resolve problems without waking somebody up in the middle of the night and paying them $150 an hour to get their rear ends out of bed and go fix it. Oh, uh, and, you know. The client I just was working with, um, they wanted to automate their their virtual builds for their servers. And mm-hmm. so we have we built a catalog request to ask for it. It goes through approval process using REST and SOAP calls back and forth. We initiate the build. We wait and we get the response back. If it ever comes back in error, we assign tickets out to get it fixed. All that automation is done within the catalog and uh, REST calls and stuff like that. So. That automation is great. You can automate things and save time and save people's hours. So people weren't were manually creating these VR VI, uh, VI machines before. Now we have an automated system that makes it quicker too. Well, and one of my mottos in life has been for the last 10 years of my life, doing more with less because every single day I find that I'm having to learn how to do more with less resources. Whether it's there's just more work to be done or 
um, we're sometimes a, um, you know, it's, it's our own success that is causing it, right? We're, you know, we're victim of our own success. And so we have so much more to do. Well, in order to keep up with it, we have to find unique ways to automate as much as possible so we can do more um, in, in less amount of time or at least the same amount of time every single day. And that's what ServiceNow does really well. Well, I mean, think about it. No one ever got into IT because they like doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right. <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. It's true. Very that's, true. That's kind of why I got into it. But he wanted a boring life. That's why Brent got into it. Well, I was thinking my philosophy is doing more with less because I have six kids. So. The cutest thing in the world. She's six. Uh, it's funny because we're all about the same age. Uh, myself, Randy, and Brent. Brent's actually the old man. You're older than me. Um, <laughs> but I have a six-year-old and 10-year-old. Uh, Brent has children that are already out of the house, right? Yes. I mean, start young. You know. I have the rest of my life to live now. Well, I, I, I split the difference because my oldest is 22 and my youngest is seven. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Randy, you've got the best of both worlds, we're going to call it. That's what we're going to call it. You can call it that, I guess. (laughs) I guess it depends on the time of night and how much sleep I've had. Yeah. 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 All right. So, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break. That wraps up part one. Please stay tuned for part two coming soon.